This morning's scripture reading comes to us from Isaiah 30, verses 1 through 15. Hear the word of the Lord. Woe to the obstinate children, declares the Lord, to those who carry out plans that are not mine. Form an alliance, but not by my spirit. Heaping sin upon sin, who go down to Egypt without consulting me, who look for help to Pharaoh's protection, to Egypt's shade for refuge. But Pharaoh's protection will be to your shame. Egypt's shade will bring you disgrace. Though they have officials in Zoan and their envoys have arrived in Hanes, Everyone will be put to shame because of a people useless to them who bring neither help nor advantage, but only shame and disgrace. A prophecy concerning the animals of the, the Negev through a land of hardship and distress, of lions and lionesses, of adders and darting snakes. The, uh, the, the envoys carry their riches on do donkeys' backs, their treasures on the humps of camels, to that unprofitable nation, to Egypt, whose help is utterly useless. Therefore, I call her Rahab the do-nothing. Go now, write it on a tablet for them, inscribe it on a scroll, that for the days to come, it may be an everlasting witness. For these are rebellious people, deceitful children, children unwilling to listen to the Lord's instruction. They say to the seers, see no more visions, and to the prophets, give us no more visions of what is right. Tell us pleasant things, prophesy illusions, Leave this way, get off this path, and stop confronting us with the Holy One of Israel. Therefore, this is what the Holy One of Israel says. Because you have rejected this message, relied on oppression, and depended on deceit, this sin will become for you like a high wall cracked and bulging that collapses suddenly in an instant. It will break in pieces like pottery, shattered so mercilessly that among its pieces not a fragment will be found for taking coals from a hearth or scooping water out of a cistern. This is what the Sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says, in repentance and rest is your salvation, and quietness and trust is your strength, but you would have none of it. This is the word of the Lord. Man, I am excited about all those groanings and amens as that scripture was read. I love this passage. Um, it's my favorite, at least one of my favorites in scripture, along with John 15, along with 2 Corinthians 2 and 13, Romans 8, and many other things. Um, they couldn't get all the scripture I wanted to read on the bulletin, 
without putting a book together today. So this is sort of half of it. And I told Amari when it's like 30 of or 30 after, raise his hand, because I could get going long on this, and I don't want to keep you here. I was in China in 2004. And we met with a friend of mine, McKay. McKay Belk was there with me. And we met with four wives of movement leaders. A movement leader is someone that God uses to spark a movement. And because of the organization I was with, Pete McLean was with them too, called World Serve. We had the opportunity to support movement leaders. We didn't come in and tell them what to do. We simply just served them, lost our identity. And we had a privilege to meet these four women, and they were talking about all their husbands, how they always are in jail. In China, please pray, they've just taken all the Bibles off the shelves. Can't even order one online. And they're rewriting the scripture to put communist ideology in the middle of it. In the middle of it. Can you imagine that? Mm. So they were sharing their stories I remember one lady who was put in prison. She was the treasurer of, an orga- of a group, a local group. They had $300. That was their budget for the year. And it was a large community. And she was in jail and she prayed, Lord Jesus, get me out of this prison and help me get the money with it out. So there were two women that were not Christians. They came in, but they looked sort of, Alive, She gave them the money and prayed, will you give this to people that are praying for me outside? And they did. But she was in there and she shared the gospel with everyone in that room. And over a period of months and a year, everyone in the prison became a Christian. Don't you love that? Then she prayed, God, I'm done. Get me out of here. So she got stomach cancer and she was dying. So they got rid of her, they didn't want her to die in the prison. And when she got out, the church prayed for her and she got healed. Now I'm listening to that and going, yeah, that's just like the church in the West. We experience that all the time. We pray for it. It's another story. So I'm I'm preaching that night. How on earth do you preach after that? And God showed me this, God showed me Isaiah 15 through 18. We'll read it. And McKay was sitting there with me and he was reading the whole first verses that we read. And he said, Tom, given your life, I think you need to read the first 14. <clears throat> this is a sermon of renewal. It's not just for those that don't know Jesus. It's for us on a daily basis, because if we are honest, we, many times when the Spirit's voice blows into our heart, we resist him, quench him, and grieve him, and most of the time, we don't even know we do it. And we say to God at times, "Mm, don't speak to me. Don't we? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. Well, go ahead, raise your hand if you do that. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) We all do. And if you don't think you do, you need to come up to those red chairs after the service and we will pray for you. And I am serious. 
And don't come to that table until you get your heart right. Let's pray. And as we pray before this, I want you to, in silence, just ask God to do a work of renewing your heart today. Close your eyes, bow your heads. We're going to have a time of silence. Lord Jesus, give us the desires of our heart. Renew us in faith, hope, and love by the power of your spirit. Amen. Now, Howard's been preaching on the vision of Christ central. I love it. Enjoying God, freeing people to enjoy God. Now, we don't free people to enjoy God. The Holy Spirit does, but he uses us. Here's truth. Listen to God, not say, I don't want to hear your truth, but ask God to speak to us, right? Growing in diverse community, just look around you, and engaging the world with renewed dignity, and it all comes from Christ. Not just the renewed dignity in engaging the world, but it all comes from Christ. I love that mission statement, but today I'm going to talk about the most important mission statement, And it's our name, Christ Central. Sorry, thirsty. Christ Central. Keeping Christ Central, I guess, is the title of this. Now, one of my mentors in seminary said, every scripture in the Bible is about two themes, judgment and grace. Now, there's a new grace community. I guess I'm part of it. We talk about, you know, we're a mess and we are. We talk about all the challenges, but we rarely talk about judgment. But as Dorothy Sayers says, you cannot understand grace until you live under his judgment. Because the blessing of God is not unconditional. When we choose to go our own way, and grieve the Holy Spirit, and resist him, and say, no, God hurts us in love. The walls come crashing down. We develop a hardness. We we become tone deaf to God's spirit, and we hurt God's feelings. That's what grieving the Holy Spirit is. And it is an amazing thing that you and I can make any difference in terms of what God feels. So we're going to start with um, an illustration from my mentor, Francis Schaeffer, who's long gone. His wife, Edith, is great, but Howard, like myself, went to, and Giorgio went to Covenant Seminary. It was blessed, and Francis Schaeffer, in his book, Death in the City, talks about two worldviews. There's a chair over here, and in this chair is the materialist, the naturalist, that their reality is only what they can see. No idea of the unseen world, no idea of the person in the other chair, which is the supernaturalist. Now, we who know Jesus, our theology is supernatural, right? Even though you don't see him, you love him. And even though you don't see him now, you're filled with a joy that's inexpressible. And I pray this morning, 
and the rest of the week, whether you know Jesus or not, whatever chair you're in, you will feel his presence and the, these moments of transcendent, the supernatural breakthrough. But as I've traveled around the world, there's certain marks of healthy churches. Number one, they believe in the supernatural and live that way. When they get sick, the first thing they do is pray, Lord, heal me. When they get hungry, they say, Lord, feed me. When they're barren in their heart, they say, Lord, heal me and fill me. We sang the song, Lord, I need you every hour. They pray without ceasing. The second thing they are is they're humble. They know their needs. They don't raise themselves. They're not megachurch sort of pastor types like I was, where you know who the staff person is or the pastor. They're invisible. They realize the church is not built on them. It's built on God's faithfulness. They eat the bread of affliction and the water of adversity. Weekly, daily, they suffer. And that suffering is the, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And Francis Schaeffer talks about the Christian that sits in this chair. Their mode of operation is the Lord's prayer. Father, that's their orientation, not themselves, Father. Hallowed be your name, your name, not mine. The person over here says me, they pray to themselves. Me, self, my name is what's important. Hallowed be my name, my kingdom come, my will be done on earth and there's no heaven. The problem is there's a third chair. And the third chair is the Christian that moves away from that worldview. Oh, they might have it in their head, but practically, existentially, they're sitting in this chair and they've hardened their hearts, asked, really out of touch with the Lord's Spirit on a moment-by-moment basis. And practically speaking, they feed the self. And you and I go from one chair to another if we're honest. But God gives us renewal. The table's a table of renewal. And so we're going to look first at the path of unfaithfulness. Lewis, I mean, Schaefer calls the person that sits in the middle chair, so to speak, the Christian who, re good theology, they go to a good church, they're evangelical, they know the creed, they say the Lord's Prayer, but, ex but in the moment, they're living like the materialist. This sermon's for you. So we're going to start with verse 1, verse 30, chapter 1. Ah, stubborn children. Anybody got kids? We got a lot of kids in this family. Well, it is the job of a child to be obstinate or stubborn. You do not have to teach that. It just comes naturally, right? They go their own way. They don't listen. No matter how many times you say it, and we as parents get exasperated because we believe that we can actually change that heart. We can't. Do I hear an amen on that, all you frustrated parents? Now, children, the Bible says 
to parents, don't drive your kids crazy, right? Because every child in this room, everybody that's been a child, had parents that drove them crazy, right? If there's anyone that didn't come up and see me, I need your tips, you know? Us stubborn children, declares the Lord, who make plans that are not mine. Anybody ever do that? Make alliances that are not of my spirit. Keith Green, a musician that was so godly, he didn't charge for his concerts. Oh, he was just wonderful. He died in a plane crash with his son. But he has a song, So You Want to Go Back to Egypt. That's exactly what Israel's doing. Hezekiah's the king. He is renewed. He brings down the high places. He restores the word of God to Israel. He does so many things right, but it's serious coming, and he's scared. And rather than seeking the Holy One of Israel, asking for his power and grace, he says, I got a good plan. I'm going to go to Egypt and make an alliance. Actually, it says libation, make sort of this ceremonial contract or covenant and the scripture says when you do that you engage in the spirit of rebellion rebellion it's when you say no it's when you stubbornly resist it's when you fill your life with idols and as Calvin says our heart is an, anybody know? Idol factory. Cranking one idol out after another. I'm wearing orange today in honor of Howard, okay? I went to Furman. I played football at Furman. I hate Clemson. I played football at Death Valley, and I still have the scars of that game. It was painful. So anyway, just that's an aside. Just, you know, strike that from the tape. <laughs> Rebellion. They seek shelter in the shadow of Egypt. They set out to go down without asking my direction. Every night we need to take a moral inventory and ask God, Lord, what did I do today? When I got up this morning like C.S. Lewis and all the things flooded into my mind, did we push them away and ask God to bless us so that we get a, a new, a faith supernatural orientation or did we just get out of bed and do our tasks? <clears throat> to seek shelter, coverage, refuge in the shadow of Egypt. Now, you can put anything you want in the place of Egypt. Technology, your company, your job, your bank account, your health, all those things are okay. But when we turn it into the substitute for the Holy One of Israel, the one and only, things don't go well for us. And not only that, we become a liability to those around us. We actually hurt the people that we love. 
And then not only does Israel get in trouble as they get into Egypt, they make animals go with them. And so I love this part. I mean, I love scripture. And what he says is, hey, these animals, right? These animals, they're the beasts of Negev. They, they go through this land of trouble and anguish. Anguish, it's going to Egypt, going back to Egypt will give you trouble and anguish. From they, they run into the lioness and the lion and the snake and the flying fiery serpent. I have never seen one of those and I never want to. You know, I mean, where I come from in Philly, well, not in Philly, but in Pennsylvania, there are rattle, rattlesnakes. And once in Charlotte, I had a copperhead that got under our, like, you know, we didn't have a, that weather thing that's under the door, you know, that keeps things out. Well, I'm not handy. And it, there's like this big gap. And I walk into my bathroom, copperhead. I killed it and I took it to church in a plastic bag and put it on my admin's desk. That was not nice. That was, that, I don't know why I did that. Uh, I was in a state of rebellion. <clears throat> flying serpent. Wow, that's as bad as flying monkeys from the Wizard of Oz. It's actually worse. <clears throat> They carry their riches on the backs of donkeys and treasures on the humps of camels. In other words, when we live in a spirit of rebellion, we hurt even our dog. Our dog doesn't even want to be with us. Cats might, but not the dog. <clears throat> if you have a cat, don't invite me over for dinner. Okay? Just kidding. Just put it in the other room. The second spirit is not only a spirit of rebellion, but it's a spirit of rejection. Now, in Isaiah chapter 44, he talks, Isaiah writes about, through God, writes about idolatry. And he basically talks about the, the woodsmith that basically makes a God. He crafts it. He gets up in the morning by the sweat of his brow. He really works well on building this God, and then he bows down to it and asks that God to bless him. Or there's a blacksmith that makes God out of iron and he sits down and, and he makes a flat bottom because he doesn't, God can fall over. And he asks that idol to bless him. And so when we are in this zone of whether you call it unfaith or whether you don't believe in God at all, we substitute the God, the Holy One of Israel, the Lord of glory, we substitute that for, for idols. And the first spirit in us is the spirit of rebellion, obstinate children. The second spirit is worse, I guess. I don't, it's as bad. It's saying to the Holy One of Israel, do not talk to me. I'm doing my own thing. I'm having a good time. I am the captain of my soul. Lewis says, there's only two theories in the world. 
my will be done or thy will be done, right? And I guess the third one is, uh, maybe thy will be done as long as my will's done with it. We are a mess. You see, Christianity, Schaefer says, is not just a mental assent to that certain doctrines that they're true. This is the only the beginning. That would be like a starving man sitting in front of a plate of ribs. I like ribs. Saying, I believe the ribs exist, but not partaking. That's what we do with God when we move into the seat of unbelief. Many Christians start out with the supernatural twice. When they get saved and they get ready to die, the rest of the time they live in the midst of maybe good teaching and theology, but somehow some way it doesn't permeate into our being. And so in a quiet way, in a holy way, in a very religious way, we basically say to God, don't mess my life up. I'm calling out peace and affluence. Now, let me just say this, and I've been negligent so far. This text is not written to just individuals, it's written to Israel. And really, the spirit here that we're getting at is, is Christ central going to be a church that's rebellious? Are we going to do a building program in our own wisdom? Are we going to sit in our worship teams and our outreach teams and sort of go, bing, I got a good idea, let's do it? Or are we going to basically say to God, I have no idea what I'm doing? Matter of fact, if you've been to seminary like Chesterton, you've been educated into imbecility, as he says. That doesn't save you. The key is not to listen to a teacher or a professor. It's to listen to the Holy One of Israel. And so, as you hear this today, back up, and I want you to hear it collectively. We want, I love Christ Central. There is not, maybe... Christ central, spirit filled, God loved, you know? We could put that as a byline to our church, but actually we already have that, don't we? In our mission statement. Christ central. When we reject God and personally here, listen to what we're saying. When we do not listen to God and obey, we are rejecting Him. We are rejecting the Holy Spirit. When a brother or sister comes up and gives us a word of knowledge. Now, you know, I know I'm getting a little edgy here, but sometimes God gives you messages for other people in your life, especially your wife. I'm I'm kidding, y'all. Karen is not here. Well, I'm not actually kidding, but Karen is not here. So, but I got to tell you, more often than not, Our wives have messages to us. And as husbands, we are obstinate. Uh, Women, come on, man. You got to give me an amen on that, right? Okay. Men, if you don't agree with that, see me over in the red chair um, after the service. Spirit of rebellion, spirit of rejection. 
The third spirit is the worst. We'll get to that in a minute. But if you look at your bulletins, because I want you to get this, or look on your phone, or if you, very few people are bringing Bibles anymore. I'm not judging you. It just is what it is. So verse 15. This is, so here's what they're doing. They're basically saying, leave this way, get off this path, stop confronting us with the Holy One of Israel. It wasn't that they were confronting these rejecting people with some other God. They, the prophets were speaking about the Holy One of Israel and they said, stop. And so now in verse 15, God makes a point through the writer Isaiah. This is what the Holy One of Israel says. Now, this verse is all, I'm going to say it. Might be right, might be wrong, but I'm going to say it. It's in my head. It's the only verse you need in Scripture. If you pick one verse and do this, you're good. Now, the rest of Scripture will help. And there's other verses that define this. So that's a little edgy right there. So, But anyway, if you do this verse, you're good. In repentance, in re it means returning. Repentance is a religious word. You're in this chair as the naturalist, this chair, or you're in this chair in unbelief, and you go, wow, I am wrong. Forgive me, God. And you move over to the supernatural chair. That's what it means to return. And you can't return without faith. And so we'll see that that verse is bracketed by repentance and faith. You with me? But in the middle are two things that are not helpful if you're ADHD. In returning and rest. Let's do rest first. I don't want to get to the quiet part, okay? If you've been around me, I talk too much, you can just say, hey, man, slow down, right? I just, it's arrogance, but it's, it's a mental problem, okay? And drugs have not been invented that help me get quiet, okay? I'm hoping. My grandmother used to say to me, Tommy, easy does it. <laughs> it never worked, and Mimi, I call her, keep praying, okay? There's a great cloud of witnesses, right? They are. There's a great, she's looking at me right now, you're 62. Mm. Mm. Easy does it. Hope Karen doesn't listen to this tape. Sure, that'll be her new phrase. In returning and trust on the end, rest. Man, rest. You know, Sunday's a day of rest. It's not that anymore. But what it meant for the old people that used to honor the Sabbath is that we spent a day in the arms of God. Not doing our own thing. Not running, and I'm going to step on toes here, to football games. You can tape it, y'all. You know? Now, it's a, just go every now and then. But as you're watching your team lose, pray. <laughs> right? Just say, this is meaningless. I mean, don't you do that every year? Even when the Eagles won, I'm like, they got to do it all over again. The joy lasts five minutes. 
I'm serious here. The joy of the Lord's eternal. The blessing that he brings our heart doesn't fade. Sports, money, anything else in this world goes away. And quickly. So resting, resting. Hebrews says today, if you enter his rest, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. It is easy and light. God calls us to sit at his feet and sit in our pain and sit in our brokenness and even sit when we feel like God is silent and he's gone behind the clouds. Where else are we going to go for eternal life? Sometimes we simply have to wait. And the next part is quiet. Now, I take issue with that phrase right there. Quiet. But it's not quiet for quiet's sake. Do I hear an amen on that? It's quiet because when you're not quiet, you can't hear. And we sang it today. The most important thing in life is to listen to the voice of God. And let me just say this. In the Reformed tradition, in the Westminster Confession, it's not inerrant, okay? It's helpful, but it's not. It's not even a chapter on the Holy Spirit in it. Did you know that? It's sad. But it's amazing. It's an amazing document. It's, I, I commend it to you. But we're really worried in the Presbyterian circles or You know, we're Presbyterian, but it's not in our name, which I'm glad about, because we're Christians more than anything else. But God speaks in three ways. He speaks ultimately in this. It's the only rule of faith and practice. He speaks in creation, right? Just as loudly, not the whole message, but just as loudly. And when we look up, If we don't believe God's real, we're stupid. Now, we're stupid a lot of times, okay? But he's here. But there's a third way that God speaks. He speaks through his spirit directly to our hearts. We call it illumination, but we never really define what that is. And we're worried about that because we're like, oh, you know, God doesn't speak really to us because that'll be new revelation. No, today if you hear his voice, hear his voice, whether it's scripture or whether it's creation, whether it's a brother or sister, literally a brother or sister or a father or mother or a husband or wife or just the breeze of the spirit firing, blowing through our heart, Listen, now, I stopped here in the, whatever that, this is, right? Bulletin, okay? That's because (laughs) we couldn't get it all in there. But if I stopped here, this would not be the gospel. Because you try returning and resting and being quiet and trusting without the Holy Spirit. You can't. This just becomes another form of legalism. Although it is the right path, it's the path of faithfulness. And do you know what Israel does to this message? What do they do? Verse, well, if you have a phone, 
or a Bible, get it out. Or if not, just listen to me. And returning and rest is your salvation. Only way to get saved. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you were unwilling. That's indifference. Now, I don't want to do that. Nope. I don't want to do that. Dorothy Sayers, I love her. Uh, you should read her. She's one of C.S. Lewis's, one of the five inklings that met weekly. She's a genius. She said this, if you want your own way, God will let you have it. Hell is the enjoyment of one's own way forever. If you want, if you want your own way, God will let you have it. Hell is the enjoyment of one's own way forever. You see, she says, we realize how wicked we are in the church, but you can't teach people that. We have to learn it by experience, right? That's why when we sang Amazing Grace, I know it hurt your feelings. That saved a wretch like me, that's the nicest thing we can call ourselves, right? On a daily basis, sloth. Now, there's seven deadly sins, pride, envy, lust, right, wrath, gluttony, which any minister anywhere can get away with. I mean, we can totally get away with gluttony. Lust, if you have an affair or something like that, you're out. You can pretty much be envious and prideful and gluttonous and all that without getting in trouble at all, right? That's a sad thing. I'm not minimizing lust, but you can be an angry person, eat all you want, whatever. But sloth is the deadly sin. It's cold. It is by nature being bored with God. Alive to everything. It's not being lazy. It's being lazy about spiritual things. It's saying to God, no, ah. Uh, I know it's returning rest, quietness, trust, but, 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 I'm just bored. You know the other thing that causes boredom? The modern man stuffed with himself. You want to talk about bored people? Our kids are bored. Our culture's bored. Our society's bored. The world's bored because we're stuffing ourselves with one idol after another, right? Listen to this verse. It's stunning. In returning and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you were unwilling and you said, no. Remember Hezekiah, the context? They're going to war. They go down and get Egypt without their direction. And on the way, God sort of says to them, hey, I can do this. Remember all the stories of how I used 300 with Gideon to rout thousands or Samson, how many people did he kill with that? It was a cow's skull, right, wasn't it? A what? Thank you. I, I, didn't st I missed that class. Um, a jawbone. That's, that's insane. But God did it. Oh, no. We're going to get Egypt. We're going to do our own thing. 
even though its help is worthless and empty, and Rahab is another term for Egypt, we call Egypt the one who does nothing. Can't help. But you said, no, we will flee on horses. Therefore, you shall flee away. You want to talk about fleeing? You will really flee away. We will ride on swift steeds. Therefore, your pursuers will be just as swift. A thousand shall flee at the threat of one, and at the threat of five, you will flee until you're left like a flagstaff on the top of a mountain, like a signal on a hill. You know what it's mean when we walk in the path of unfaithfulness. You want to talk about loneliness. There is no other loneliness like that. When we walk the path of faith, we can be Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who's in the prison getting sentenced in Nazi Germany because of his faith, because of his boldness. In that prison sentence, in that prison cell, he felt the presence of God. And even though he longed for community with other, other believers, he was filled with a presence that millions of people can't satisfy apart from Jesus Christ. So now, verse 18, I got to tell y'all, the gospel is good news. That means we're supposed to read it, right? That's supposed to, that means we're supposed to tell other people about it. I don't want to talk about politics here, but I've taken a fast from watching the news because I can't handle it. So I just, well, that's not totally true. I sneak a peek every now and then. But you know what it should do to us and what it's doing to me? Crying on God. Lord, guess what? You put the leaders in place. You might have done it as an act of grace, or you might do it as an act of judgment. But regardless, we've got to seek you, and we confess you are powerful, powerful powerful. You are the Holy One of Israel. The rest of this stuff is temporal. So here's the gospel. The whole thing was gospel. Judgment is grace. Did you know that? God's judgment is grace because he left, if he left us to ourselves and if he leads you to yourselves and you're just happy all the time, but you don't know God, that is the most dangerous place to be. It's much better if you feel the judgment and the pain and the disappointment of God because that can bring you home. So, verse 18. Therefore, now this is when the person's all alone. This is when we've come to the end of our unfaithfulness. The spirit of rebellion, the spirit of rejection, the spirit of indifference leaves us all alone apart from God, apart from his presence, apart from the breath of the spirit, we've quenched him. Do you know what it means to quench the spirit? It means to basically put him out. The spirit actually decreases in your soul. Do you know that? And many of us, when that happens, we don't even know what happens because we've resisted him. But, Therefore, thank goodness for therefore, the Lord longs to be gracious to you. In the midst of your rebellion, in the midst of your rejection, in the midst of, not yours, in the midst of my rebellion, 
my rejection, my indifference. Therefore, the Lord waits. In the Hebrew, it's waits and longs. He waits to be gracious to me. Man, oh man. If you just knew what is in my heart, just spend 15 minutes with me, let alone God bless my wife and yours too and your husband. Yet, therefore, thus says the Holy One of Israel, the Lord, the Lord of glory, the covenant God waits to be gracious to you. He he rises up, the resurrection, he rises up every morning to show you mercy. When that's all that you can say, have mercy, Lord, have mercy. There is not one thing I've done, not one thought I've had that's either, that from me, from me, from myself, that's worthy. The only thoughts, the only loves, the only passions, the only acts that are sanctified are ones done in faith because apart from faith, you can't do nothing. And apart from faith, you can't please God. Because if you want to really have faith, as Hebrews says, you've got to believe that he is in your presence. He is everything, and that he rewards us for those who seek him. Therefore, the Lord waits to be gracious to you. He exalts himself to show mercy to you because he is a God of justice. Listen to this. It's a little edgy. He has to bless those who wait for him. Do you hear that? Now, I wouldn't say God has to do a lot. But he blesses those who wait for him. Another word for wait is hope. So this morning, I invite you to rediscover the gospel of Christ and preach that gospel to yourself. Because when we, when God, when we wait on God and he floods us with his presence, when the Holy Spirit gets unquenched, I don't know what that means, but it's, it's the only thing I can say at the moment. When he gets unquenched and, he, and the fire of the spirit, like Acts 2, and the wind of the spirit and the presence of the spirit blows through our lives and we get new tongues, tongues of grace and glory, tongues of truth and power. Do you know this? The same power that raised Jesus from the, I shouldn't point, sorry. The same power that raises Jesus from the dead is available to us. Does anyone in here really believe that? No. If you say you believe that, you need to come over to that red chair. On a daily basis, we don't believe that, but it's true. Sometimes we do. When we sit in the supernatural thing, God, I just had, y'all, I had such a great week with reentry this week. I've been praying eight years for this stuff, and um, It happened apart from me. Wow, Lord Jesus, thank you. So, what happens when you return and you wait and you listen and you trust and you walk in the grace of God and know that he waits and longs to be gracious to you collectively as a church? Don't we need his grace? collectively, to enjoy him, to speak his truth, to engage in real diversity, 
not cosmetic, and to, to engage the world, this world around this neighborhood and mine too, they need the gospel, Lord, Lord knows. But when we sit there and believe that and return and rest and are quiet and trust, look what happens. For a people will dwell in Zion. Now the matrix, wasn't the matrix about, wasn't Zion in that? So forget that, forget the matrix, get that out of your head. That's the only, you know, practical thing I thought of. I know that's pretty sad. But anyway, you shall dwell in Zion and Jerusalem. You shall weep no more. You might cry. We'll see in a minute. You might have affliction, but true weeping, the true deep weeping of the soul in loneliness and oppression and sin upon sin and judgment will be no more. He will surely be gracious to you when you pray a new prayer. Not the prayer, leave me alone, don't prophesy. That's a prayer. But the prayer of faith, the prayer of touching the hem of his garment because we need healing so much. The prayer of a husband and wife on their knees confessing their sin to one another and to God, most of all, and asking God to heal the division in their family. In a moment, God can do that. In a moment. Do you believe that? Maybe it wasn't your practice, but I got to tell you, if it wasn't your practice, it's your fault because you don't believe in the power of God. You don't believe in the Holy Spirit. You've kept bitterness and all that angst and unforgiveness in your heart, and you're not returning. You're not resting. You're not. We're not. I'll just include me. Every day, I think about my former marriage. Every day, no matter what I think, well, I won't even say that. Every day, I have guilt. I've confessed it. But I say to myself, if I would have just loved more, if I would have just been honest, if I would have just sanctified and confronted more every day, you know what it's like to live with that? Well, God gave me a second chance. And he's given you one, too. A second or a third or a fourth. He will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. Listen, when you return, when you rest, when you're cried and you trust, God has to bless you. It's what the cross is all about. It's what the resurrection is all about. It's what the spirit being given to us is all about. We are no longer orphans. We don't have to cut ourselves to get God to hear us like the false prophets. We don't have to do any of that. We just simply come home and ask God to bless us, bless our families, bless our church, bless our community, bless the world. And though the Lord give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, I gave my testimony to the fellows, the fellows this week and uh, five girls. There was a guy and he left because he was dating somebody else. And she said, you can't be, al- I don't know if that's true, but you can't be alone with five girls. I'm like, wow, it's an amazing ministry. The Lintzes are part of that and they're on the board. And it's people that graduate from college and they they want to do ministry in the marketplace and they take a year and fill themselves. So they always have me tell my story at the end because 
If not, it could be really discouraging. But part of my story now is affliction and adversity. And I was thinking, he gives you the bread of affliction, of adversity and the water of affliction. Do you know how often we drink and eat? That means it's our norm. Do you believe that? And even though he gives us that, your teacher will no longer be silent. He'll say, this is the way, walk in it. This is the way, walk in it. And then we will dwell and we will experience riches and pleasure, not only in this life, but the life to come. I close with this. A quote, except you become little children, except, except you become as little children, except you can wake up Expect that you can wake up on your 50th birthday with the same forward-looking excitement or 62nd and interest in life that you enjoyed when you were five. When we become little children, it's Christmas, and we open the presents wide-eyed with joy and expectation. We wake up with the same forward-looking excitement and interest when you enjoyed when you were five. You can't enter the kingdom of God. One must die daily Every day we must be born again. So my father, he's 94, and literally he used to trap. <laughs> trap like trap like animals, you know? He had a trap line, sell muskrat for a dollar. It was $2 he could have got, but he didn't want to skin them. And so he taught me how to hunt and fish from the time I was little. And we went one day on the Little Lehigh, it's in Pennsylvania, a place called Allentown, and it's this stream, and it's really narrow, and there's trees all around. And so he used to have me out in the backyard casting at the dog pan, okay? Man, you know, with my, well, it just didn't work. But he took me fishing. And one day, you know, he'd take me fishing, and I'd cast, and it would be in a tree. And so he would untangle that, and then I'd throw it in the water and catch a fish, and then I'd throw it in the tree and untangle that. And one of his friends came up at the end of the day, and I said, Mr. Matusa, I caught 12 fish, and my dad didn't catch one. <laughs> when I go home to see my dad, there's such a sense of security, of being home of having a father I'm privileged to say, even though he's old school, loves me. And when fit and then untangled the lines of my life and gave me the rod and let me catch fish. Today, in a very moment, we will have a meal of renewal. I invite you back to Jesus today, just like every day. I invite you to look at his blood and drink it and look at his flesh that was torn and eat it and join with him in reckless enjoyment of life, learning the truth, bathing in it, engaging in community, experience the diverseness that comes from it in this place and going out this week and making an impact on those around you, let's pray. Lord Jesus, therefore, you long to be gracious to, you, to us. You rise every morning, every night, 
to show us compassion. Because you're a God of justice, you bless all of us when we wait and hope and long for you. Bless this church that we might be a blessing through the Holy Spirit of grace. Amen.